Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Um, Matthew's introduction of the Messiah to, um, to the world. It's, we've introduced ourselves to Matthew um, two weeks ago as we saw Matthew being summoned, as we talked about that in Sunday school, the summons of the king. But he was being called by Jesus to follow him. And so Jesus, Matthew sorry, got up from the tax booth, the tax table, leaving everything that was there, and he followed him. He left it all to follow Jesus. And here we are, a couple thousand years later, reading this tax collector's recollection of the Messiah. This is really exciting stuff for me. I mean, when you think about an IRS guy, do you think about what his future in the kingdom of God can be? Or do you think, oh man, I never want to meet that guy. Anyways, but what a, what a fun thing. I mean, here we have Matthew, right? And we're reading about this guy's recollection because his life was changed. Phenomenally changed. And so we're reading about that as we focus on the Messiah in the book of Matthew. We've seen then how Matthew has placed out here the importance of the, um, the lineage of Jesus. And so as we look in this Advent season about the seed, Jesus being the seed, the seed of, of the woman, we see is Mary, we see him being the seed of Abraham, but then we see that that continues on through prophecy that he is the seed of Judah, and then he is the seed of David, okay? And so we see that Matthew... Or, proclaims that as well, because again, if Jesus wasn't that, then he couldn't be the Messiah. And so we talked about that, that even today, there is a group of people trying to figure out lineages to, in the Jewish realm to try to come up with a new Messiah, okay? But, but the reality is that their Messiah has, has already come, and we're looking forward to his return. That's exactly right, where he will sit upon the throne of David. Very exciting stuff. So, as we have seen it then, Matthew is continuing to present the validity of Jesus as Messiah. And so, we then saw his message, and the core of his message, again, is to repent. Change the way you think, okay? You, have to, you can't think like the world. You can't think like the religious establishment. You have to think with godly, biblical thinking. And so, Jesus tells them to change the way they think. And then he also then, as we said just a moment ago, to follow him, Okay? And so if we were to follow him, we have to change the way we think because it didn't make sense for Matthew to get up and leave everything. But he had to change. In that moment, he had to change the way he thought about everything. And he did. And so he followed him. And so we saw then that Matthew then presents the, the message, the extended message of Jesus as we see it in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, And we see that this message of the kingdom is quite different and higher and definitive. You can't be in both places. You have to choose which God you're going to serve. You're either going to serve the God of the world, mammon, materialism, or you're going to serve the one and only true God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're going to follow the kingdom of the heavens rather than the kingdom of the world, if that makes sense to you. Okay? And then we saw it was a practical kingdom as we considered the fact that Jesus then talked about not judging others, but rather judging yourself. That checking yourself out before you worry about checking somebody else out. He didn't say don't check anybody else out, don't help anybody, but first you've got to do it to yourself. And then he talked about 
with the ask, the seek, the knock, but we saw that the context of ask, seek, and knock was in the realm of checking yourself out. And then you can have the wisdom to, to help somebody else out. And then walking in the narrow way. But walking in the narrow way, we had to be careful because there were going to be people out there, false prophets, false teachers, who were going to seek to distract us and deceive us and to turn us away. But he said that you'll know them by their fruit. And he said there are going to become some who come to him on that day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? So, Which is very interesting as we're talking about this section now where Jesus is revealing his authority, casting out demons, and he's giving it to his followers to cast out demons, right? Jesus said there are going to be some who come to him on that day, and they're going to cry, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all these wonderful works in your name? And I'm going to say to him, depart from me, you son of lawlessness. I never knew you. You may claim to know me, But it doesn't matter what you claim. It only matters if God knows you. There's a lot of people pretending. There's a lot of people who look good on the outside, but as we're going to see later, not today, but in Jesus' teachings, when he talks to the Pharisees, they look good on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. And so Jesus said, You know, I never knew you. Depart from me, you son of lawlessness, right? And then he goes on and he culminates that whole teaching with, so what should I liken this to? I will liken him to a man who who hears or builds his house upon the rock. This one is like the one who hears my words and he what? He does them. That's the important part, right? Be doers of the word and not... Here is only, okay? So Jesus said, so I'll liken this guy to one who hears my teachings and he, and, he, and he does them to a man who builds his house upon the rock. And remember the pictures of that, those cabins from Canada, you know? And the other guy, the one who hears my words and doesn't do them, he's like the house on a, the sandbar, you know, that island that really was made out of sand. And you remember how it kept being eroded and eroded and eroded, okay? And so that's what Jesus was talking about. He says the storm's going to come and the house on the stand's going to what? It's going to collapse. That's what our life is like. And then Matthew goes on to begin to present this authority of Jesus, confirming his authority, because the people said, he doesn't speak like one of our scribes. Rather, he speaks as one who has authority. And he did. And so that's what we then have seen, his authority over disease and nature, demons and sin, death and the handicaps. And the exciting thing now, as we get into this section, where we're we're, we're talking about his disciples last week and this week, is that Jesus now is going to take all that authority and he's going to give it to his disciples. This is an amazing thing. But we saw that the the context, again, we want to look at things in context, that the context of Jesus giving his disciples that authority in this commission, which we're going to continue looking at today, was his compassion for the multitude. That Jesus looked at the people, Jesus looked at this motley group of people, right? This assorted group of people, and he had compassion. He wasn't frustrated with them. He knew that probably there were people there for multitudes of different reasons, but he didn't pick them out and say, you're here for a wrong reason. You're here for a wrong reason. You're only here for this. You know, you know, I'm getting ready to what? Feed the multitude. You're only here for that. He didn't say all that. Now later in John, we read that Jesus does confront them and says, you're only here because I just fed you and you're only continuing to come for that reason. But here, he has compassion on these people. 
And as a result of his compassion for the people, he turns to his disciples and he says to them, Look, do you see how the fields are white under the harvest? It's only lacking one thing. Laborers. I mean, how, how awful is it if you're riding down the road? I mean, have you ever seen, you've gone down the road and you've seen a field of corn or a field of whatever? When I used to drive truck, it grieves my heart when I drove through Trenton and, ah, my mind just blanked out on me, um, heading east from Johnston, heading over, uh, because with an M. No, 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 that's, that's the other way. Mineta, yeah, Mineta. That, no, that, that, that area, Trenton, Johnston, Mineta, that is the peach capital of the world. I mean, we may be the beach here in Georgia, may be the peach state, but I promise you, driving a truck, that's the peach capital. I mean, I loved in July, August time frame. Windows down. I love peaches, man. Just peaches. But it became a, a real struggle for me because you're not allowed to go stop your truck and get out and pick up a peach because that's stealing because it's not your field. Make sense? We don't live in biblical days where you could glean off the side. And driving through there, I would see all these peaches that were on the ground that were just rotting. They were calling my name. They wanted eaten that very moment. But I wasn't allowed. And you see all this fruit that's just going to waste because there was not somebody there to harvest it. The fields were pink, if you would. <laughs> Peachy in color. And the harvest. I was restricted from going into the fields. I wanted to be one of those laborers for that field. But take this spiritually now. That's Jesus looking at this motley throng of people. And he's saying, you guys need to change the way you think. You got a field that's here. It's ripe. It's ripe. It's just lacking people going into it. That's what precipitates Jesus' commission of his disciples. And so we saw in this um, commissioning of his disciples, first we saw the authorization that he gave them. He takes the authority and he gives it to them. And he authorizes them. He gives them the authority to cast out unclean spirits. Those are demons. I mean, again, I don't, I'm not going to spend time. But do you believe that you can, you, you, by the blood of Jesus, by the power of God, that you have the authority to cast demons out of people? You do. To heal all sorts of sickness and disease. Now, I'm not saying you're going to do this every day. Again, I've shared my experiences in the past, okay? I had that guy who was in my office, things were moving around, and I'd like to tell you that I cast a demon on the guy I didn't. He didn't have faith. Maybe I didn't have faith. However it played out, it didn't happen that day. He wouldn't come to know Christ. He walked away with his demon, still with him. Okay? So, so I'm not saying... That it's going to boom, 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 okay? I'm not the Son of God. But I have the power of the Son of God with me. Does that make sense? And so to, ca- to heal all sorts of sicknesses and de- diseases. And then he gave them the direction, the direction to go. First he told them to follow. Now he's telling them to, to go. But go with his authority, to go with his message. And so he gives them their target audience. It's to Israel. He tells them, don't go in the way of the Gentiles. I want you to go to the house of Israel. As we saw with 
Paul, in Romans chapter 1 and elsewhere, he goes to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. He always started in the synagogue, and then he opened up the gospel to the rest of the city. Even Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, still started with that. So I don't know what you think about Jews, Jewish people, okay? But they're still God's chosen people. God still desires for them to come to know him, okay? And it's still a desire of God to be able to give the gospel to to his chosen people, quote-unquote. The theme was the same as Jesus' theme. The kingdom of the heavens has drawn near, okay? And so, again, in in the Greek, the perfect sense is that it already has drawn near. Jesus was there. He had already come. The king had come. Okay, and in a sense, you could say, well, was the kingdom really offered or wasn't it offered? And I, you know, that's like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin and, you know, can God make something big enough that he can't do himself? You know, all this stupid stuff. But the reality is that the king was there. The kingdom was being presented just as when you go forth as an ambassador, an emissary of the king, you are presenting what? The kingdom to the people. And they have the choice, even today, to enter into God's kingdom or to reject it. Are you a follower of the king or are you not a follower of the king? It really boils down to that. Which kingdom are you a part of? It's the same thing Jesus talked about in Matthew 6. You can't serve two kings. You can't serve two masters. You're going to serve the one and despise the other. You're going to love the one and hate the other. You just can't do it. So which kingdom are you in? So they're sending out with the same message. The kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. And then God gave them again that authority, and he comes back to it as a, sign, as a testimony with signs and wonders of the gospel message. Now, theoretically, in the years past, in the United States, being a Christianized world, land, we didn't need these. We had the truth. But in other areas of the world, I... I know people who have seen these accompanied. I know, even I've shared this with Peru, when I was able to lead two kids to the Lord speaking Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish. Okay? Now, God had previously encouraged me to memorize certain verses of Scripture, which then he gave me the ability to memorize. I don't speak Spanish. But he gave me the ability to memorize those verses, and those were the verses that I needed to quote to these kids in order to lead them to the Lord. It wasn't I who did it. It was God who did it. But I know that was a miraculous moment at the, when I finally got a hold of my interpreter, my interrupter, and he's leading the lady to the Lord, and he turns around, and he says, what? And I says, I think I led these two guys to the Lord, but I don't know. Find out if they really understand what what the gospel is. And he starts talking in Spanish, and I don't understand. It's all Spanish to me, right? And uh, and he says, and I said, do they understand? He says, yeah. And so they got saved. They asked the Lord into their heart, and they got saved. That's an amazing thing to me. God is able to do exceeding abundantly by all that we ever ask or think. We just have to trust him. And you have to be willing to be, as we shared in Sunday school, that little lamb, that littlest lamb. And just do what the master's asking us to do. And watch him do mighty and marvelous things. But if I don't believe that he can do it, I'll never open my mouth, literally, in that situation, right? The two little kids would have walked away. Because I couldn't do that. I couldn't speak Spanish. I tried to get the one witness to the other, and he didn't understand me saying that. So I said, okay, fine. I got to say, I got to do it. You can do this. God wants to use you. But it all begins with the relationship that you have with him. 
And so before we even move on, we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about being a disciple of Jesus. But this is meaningless to you if you're not a disciple of Jesus. You've got to know him. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, honestly, not just playing a game, not just I went to church all my life, but if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, then you're not his. Jesus wants to empower you, if you would, to give you the ability to serve him. It's your call what you do with that. So we go on then today, because after he gives them the direction, Jesus begins to talk about the provision. Remember last week I said this is going to be our transitional statement. Because the very end of the verse, Jesus says, Freely you have received, what? Freely give. Okay? And so there we are, in the verse 8, he says you're going to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I want to capitalize on that again as we go into this. Because again, he just gave them some awesome, marvelous authority. They could make a killing, if you would, with this power, with this authority. You want the cancer gone? 20 bucks. 20 bucks. And I can heal you of that. Now, maybe I wouldn't do it necessarily just that straight. Right? Maybe I can just say it in a different way and say, God wants you to be what? Healed. God wants you to be rich. And if you just what? Send it, donate. If you send in your money today, God will heal you. Okay, now I'm not making fun. I'm being very serious. We've got a lot of charlatans in our world today. And where they get their power, I don't know whether it's from God or whether it's otherwise. That's not mine to determine. But I know that God told us that he didn't want us to make a living off it. Does it make sense? Because he goes on, he says to them, look what he says to them now. His charge to them. I want you to go empty-handed. Verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Don't take a wallet with you. Don't take any money with you. Ultimately, who's going to provide for them? The people in the town. Yes? No! No! It's not the people in the town. Who's going to provide for them? God is! And he may use these people everywhere. Do you believe that God God can provide for you? We love to say God owns the cattle on... Go ahead, finish it. A thousand hills. All he needs to do is slaughter another cow, and he can do this. We say this, but we live in affluence. We don't have to really test him on it. Do we? Do you believe that God is able to provide for you? I commend Charles and Asia. I love. They have a great last name. But but Charles and Asia felt called to go to Niger. They didn't go out for years and try to raise support. They went to two or three churches, and they said, we're going, if you'd like to support us, and went. We heard about it, and we were excited about it, and now our church supports them. They didn't come asking us for money. I believe God put it on our heart. 
God worked the, the, the scenario so we would understand who they were. And now here they are, taking hold of a girl who was in darkness, administering to her family, but they wouldn't even have been there by now because they'd still be in language school. Now they got this other refugee family. I don't know if you follow this on, on Facebook and stuff. They had this other refugee family come in, and their family of five turned into 11. And remember, they didn't go out. They're looking for money. But now they've got to start providing for more mouths. But they're doing it. Why? Because God is the one who was the provider. Jehovah Jireh is still Jehovah Jireh. Too many times we say we can't because we don't want to. Because we're worried it's going to take away from us. What am I going to lose out on this? Our love is not agapao. Our love is phileo. I love you and I'll give you the shirt off my back as long as i got another one to put on. I'll give you my porridge as long as I know there's more in the, in the, in the pot for me to take some for me. Faith is not sight. Faith is giving my porridge when there's nothing in the pot and I don't know how I'm going to eat. Faith is helping somebody even when I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. Now, I'm not saying stupidity. But think about what Jesus asked his disciples to do. Does it make sense? Would you encourage your friends to do that? Go out without any money. Just go out and wait for God to provide for you. We look at that and we say, what? That's irresponsible. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus asked his disciples to do. Now, again... I'm not saying we need to be stupid. We need to be prudent. But if God calls me someplace, then I have to make a decision. Do I believe that God will provide for me to be able to go there and do what he's called me to do? Or do I have to then come alongside God and help him out? Could you imagine if the disciples said, okay, God, we're going to go, but we're going to have to now go to all the synagogues to what? Raise support. Jesus wanted them to go when? Now. And they went. And so he says to them, there's a responsibility now that comes along there. Because we have the, the charge of disciples, but we have the condition upon the town and the household. Because now he goes on, he says, verse 11, he says, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy... Let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or the city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. There's a whole lot more going on than just what's going on in your life. This isn't all about Bob. Wonder boy of God, going off into the, the darkness to shine the light. And God's going to just be going alongside me and he's going to empower me. I have my little cape. So if I jump into the, the phone booth, you know, I can take off my normal clothes and I can I'm super disciple. And, and I go up and I, can, and, I can, and I can heal people and I can do it. It's not what it's all about. It's all about this timid fisherman, if you would, right? Going out 
And what I read here is there's a distinct possibility that I, Peter, James, John, Andrew, one of these others, right? I can go into one of these villages and what can happen to me? I can be rejected. I may not find a house of peace. I may not find a house that is worthy. In fact, the village may not like me at all and nobody will give me any what? Food. What am I going to do with God then? Do you get it? Because it's not just about me. It's really about everybody else as well. And God is doing a work in that village and in those houses. And that God is doing a work where they're going to they're gonna see somebody who's coming with the message of God. They're going to see somebody who is, who's coming and in, 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 uh, serving the Lord, right? And they're going to have a decision to make. Or do they want to come alongside what God is doing? Or do they not want to come alongside what God is doing? Or are they going to withhold their own stuff? Well... Brother, I'd have you into the house, but, you know, there's two of you, and we really only have enough. Could you imagine the woman who only had enough meal for her and her son to eat that last little loaf and die? What would have happened if she said to Elijah, you knew I was going to struggle for the J or the S-H, huh? Anyways, was it Elijah or Elisha? Anyways, whichever the prophet it was. Anyways, Elijah. When he, when he got there... If, if they would have said, oh, brother, we'd love to help you. I know that you're a prophet, but, you know, it's, we only have enough just for this one little meal. So I'll pray for you. I hope you find someplace else to help you out. What do you think would have happened to the woman and her son? They would have died. That's exa- they would have died. They would have eaten that bread and they would have died. But having Elijah into the house, what happened? The flour never ended. The the oil never ended. God continually provided. Do you think God is able to do that? I mean, we say it. I want, was Bob's name, would Bob's name be written in Hebrews 11 if if it was written in a few years from now? Would, would, would Bob even be there? You can put your own name in there. Don't ask about just Bob, okay? Put your own, make, make me feel better. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. That's the whole context of this whole section we're in. By faith, by faith. They saw Jesus by faith, by faith, by faith. And they saw people come to Jesus by faith, by faith, by faith. And now Jesus is telling his disciples what? Go by faith. By faith. What are you doing by faith? What? I mean, not to me. And I'm not trying to yell at you. I really But this is... Again, remember, this is, it always comes to me, and so I just, just shun it, share the wealth card, okay? What are you doing by faith? What are you doing that you really have to fully rely upon God to do? Or are you doing everything by your own wisdom and by your own strength? And you're only asking God to join you in your endeavors. It's not your endeavor. It's not my endeavor. It's not our endeavor. It's his kingdom. Change the way you think because the kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. These towns, these households, what does it say? What, what, what will happen to them if they reject joining God in his ministry through these men? Judgment. Judgment. He gives them an analogy. What's the analogy? He says to them, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable, get this, more tolerable for who? Sodom and Gomorrah in that day. Wow. Do you get what it's saying here? This is a big deal. Do you think Jesus flippantly is just throwing out a statement? Or do you think he really means it? 
What are we willing to stretch? What are we willing to go out on a limb for God for? He's telling his disciples to go out on a limb, but he's then doing it by extension because those in the house and those in the city need to be able to take it too, the next step. So the provision. But that leads right into this next part that we really don't want to talk about, and that is their persecution. Verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Why are you doing that, Jesus? I mean, if you know they're wolves and I'm like a sheep, why are you doing it? He's doing it. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that very hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father is child, and his children will rise up against the parents and cause them to be put to death. That sounds so exciting, doesn't it? And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. The first thing I see in this is the reality of the persecution. He doesn't say this might happen. He says it will happen. In America, we've had a buy for a long time. I think the buy is going away. Our nation is eroding quickly. You can talk about any God you want, except for one. You can't talk about Jesus. Why? Because Satan doesn't want him talked about. More and more and more. I mean, there are articles being written all over the place that you are a threat. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you are a threat. As they begin to look at things that are in the world that are threats, taking away guns and taking away this and hate crime and hate speech, you, if you speak the gospel, like you shared, Caleb, what child is this? Beware, this song has explicit content. Really? Why? Because it talks about God coming to the earth and saving us from our sins. That's not tolerant. That's a pretty intolerant statement. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's okay so far. No one, oh, now we're getting bad, comes to the Father except through me. Sorry, that becomes intolerant. You're saying your way is the only way. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? Jesus said, 
it's going to come a time when they're going to they're going to they're going to arrest you. They're going to persecute you. Look, if they don't like me, Jesus, not Bob. This is Jesus. <laughs> if they don't like me, if they're going to call me Beelzebub, what do you think they're going to do to you? And that's the reason for the persecution. Jesus said a disciple is not above his master, his teacher, nor servant above his master. I love the next statement, though. It is enough for a disciple that he what? Be like his teacher and a servant like his master. So stop for a moment. This is the way you get out of persecution. What's the out? Don't be like Jesus. If you're not like Jesus, they won't recognize you. And I promise you, too many of us are wearing camouflage. That's why Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That you're already dead. It doesn't matter what the world does to you because you're already dead. This is your reasonable act of Service or worship, the word service there, letreo, literally is worship or an act of service and worship. So like we have a worship service. That's what we, it's called, the worship service, right? That's the idea of that word, okay? Which is your reasonable act of worship or your reasonable act of service. Depends on what version of the Bible you're looking at. One of them translates to worship, one of them translates it service. Why? Because it's all the exact same word, okay? But then he continues on, and be not conformed, changed in your outward appearance, to this world, but rather be ye transformed in the renewing of your mind. Too many of us are worrying about being what? Conformed rather than being transformed. If you don't look like Jesus, don't worry about the persecution. They'll never know. But the more you look like Jesus, the more you act like Jesus, the more you talk like Jesus, the more that you do what the Father does like Jesus did, because Jesus said, I only do what the Father does. And so the more you do what Jesus does, which is what the Father does, the more you're going to bring persecution upon yourself. Now, you can do it wrongfully. I've known two people who did it wrongfully. I had a woman who worked for me many years ago. She threatened me with the blood of Christ. I said, praise God, I've been cleansed by it. But she never did her work. Never did her work, but she proclaimed to know Jesus. She was out for a week. I had somebody to do her, her job for her, which she gave me permission to do. They, the computer was down half the week. They were able to finish up all her three months of backlog of work and get her caught up within the two and a half days. She didn't do her job. She claimed to be an apostle of Christ. What do you think was her testimony? Do you think anybody wants the Jesus that she had? I knew another guy that got fired for giving out tracts where he worked. That sounds good at first, except for the fact he wasn't running his machine. He was supposed to be running his machine, and he wasn't running his machine because he's going all around the plant giving out tracts. And so you want to call it spiritual persecution, like that lady who was worked for me when I had to, to, to fire her. And, you know, in the government, you can't do that. Anyways, it was a long period. I don't want to get into all that. But anyways, but there was spiritual persecution there. There was spiritual persecution for this guy. They brought it upon themselves. It wasn't real persecution. You can't call that spiritual persecution. Because if you're doing what you're supposed to do, the persecution wouldn't have been there. But if you're doing your job, make sense? And persecution comes, then it's because of Christ. So don't, don't play the game 
of giving somebody a reason to fire you. Make sense? You do your job. You do it well. And if persecution comes because of the name of Jesus, then persecution comes because of the name of Jesus. And be willing to lose your job for the name of Jesus, not be willing to lose your job because <laughs> you, didn't do your, you didn't do your job. That's exactly right. But persecution is going to come. And when the persecution comes, Jesus says, it's going to be because of my name. But in spite of all that, in spite of all that, he says then, at the very end here, verse 26, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered or hidden that will not be revealed, and hidden that will be not known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, now that doesn't mean darkness like, you know, in him was no darkness. Okay? What he's saying is, whatever I tell you in the secret place. Okay? Whatever I tell you in dark, speak in the light. Speak publicly. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to be bring peace, but a sword. Isn't that an interesting statement to be reading in this time when we read about the angels coming, right? And they say, peace on on earth, goodwill toward men, right? And he says, don't think that I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace, but rather I came to bring a sword. Verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy, there's that word again, worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. The proclamation that he gives them Note, first of all, the implications it is to themselves. Okay? The source of their confession was who? Or what? What did Jesus tell them? When you're, when you're being persecuted, should you worry? No. Why? Help me out. Say it again. God's more powerful. But when, 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 you're, asked to, when you're asked to give that testimony... He's more powerful. Well, what, what was the promise? We already covered it. He'll give you the words. God's going to give you the message to speak at that very moment. You don't have to be a trained speaker. You just have to believe God is able. God is able to put words in your mouth like he put words in the mouth of all the prophets throughout the day, ages. 
There were other prophets who were prophets that we don't read their, their, their writings in the scriptures. There were more prophets than Isaiah and Jeremiah. Have you ever read the book of Elijah? What about the book of Elisha? You haven't read them. You've read what others have written that they said, but you don't have a book of Elisha. You don't have a book of Elijah. Does it make sense? There, and there were multiple other prophets who were, during the day, if you read the book of Jeremiah, he talks about other prophets who were killed during his day. You don't have their writings. God is able to use you prophetically, if you would, almost, okay, to be able to put the words in your mouth that he wants you to speak to those individuals at that moment, if only you just trust him. Now, he also then says that the confession ultimately is the confession of himself then. Not only will he put the words in your mouth, but then you have to proclaim them to the publicly about him, that you're going to proclaim him publicly. What he tells you in the, in the dark, speak in the light. What he tells you in secret, proclaim it from the housetops. That's kind of bold, isn't it? Okay, that's not saying, coming over to side, that's being willing to open up your mouth and saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, I get it. I'm yellow belly chicken liver too, and, and, and I struggle with this as well. You need to get over that because that's the part where it's not me, it's him, that I'm going to be able to do this. So, hence, we go knocking on doors. Not because I love knocking on doors. I'm an introvert. I don't like meeting new people. I can't say I don't like. That's not what I really mean. I, it's my preference not to do that. But I know God has called me to do it. And so I got to go out and I do it. Not, you know, and whether I'm going to see anybody saved or not see anybody saved, that's before God. It doesn't really matter to me. I just know he wants me to do it. And I know I struggle still being yellow-bellied chicken liver, even when they're knocking on doors. Sure, I hope they're not home. You know, sure hope I can leave a track. <laughs> here, have a track. I'm out of here. You know, oh, he answered the door. Steve, you talk. Anyways. No, we, 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 we have straws. And we're continually breaking them and saying, okay, the longest straw has got to go. You know, <laughs> we don't really do that. But anyways, you got two introverts knocking on the door. Isn't this exciting? I mean, think about this. <laughs> That's what's called accountability, right? Because he doesn't want to do it on his own. I don't want to do it on my own. So we show up to, to kick each other and make each other do it. Anyways, the point is, you just have to believe that God wants you to proclaim that message that he has. And whatever comes from it, comes from it. It's not mine. I don't have to worry about it. I have to be faithful to do what he's called me to do. Make sense? So, but then that source of my con, um, conf confession is him, himself. Note what he says in there. Oh, I want to go backwards because oh, oh, I thought I had another point on here. And that is what he says at the very end. He says, if you, because this is a contingency here, if you do what? If you confess me before men, I will what? Confess you before my Father. Stop right there, right? We want to stop right there. Don't go any further. Jesus didn't listen to us, did he? Because he went further, didn't he? He took it where we don't want to take it. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Can anybody quote that to me? It's all about salvation. Speak it real loud. And believe that God is raising from the dead. You will be saved. For? Okay, say it real loud. For with the mouth one believes in the salvation, and with the heart 
No, with the heart, one believes in salvation. With the mouth, confession is made in salvation. We're messing up. But with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made in salvation. The point is, in that, that's not a sinner's prayer. Note what it says. Whatever you believe in your heart is going to what? Come out of your mouth. It's, you're going to confess it with your mouth. That's the, 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 that's the works. Faith without works is dead. If you really believe it, you're going to talk about it. You already came up to me, Rodney, right? And who are you talking about? Cowboys and the Sooners. Now, if the Sooners were later, you wouldn't have been talking to me this morning about them, would you? <laughs> but the point is, so, if you know, I'm not talking about the Steelers today because they got whomped on by the Broncos. I mean, just, you know, whatever. If they want to be beating the Chargers tonight, talk to me tomorrow. Anyways, the point is, what we, what we believe in, what we're excited about, we what? We talk about. Jesus said, if you open up your mouth to confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you don't, if you deny me. I didn't say this. Don't look at me being a legalist. Jesus said it. If you deny me, I'm going to deny you. And so you've got to ask him, because this is really important. Because what happened with Peter, though, right? Peter what? He denied him how many times? Three times. And so when Jesus next met him, what did he do with him? He discarded him, right? He said, get away from me, trash. He didn't say that. He gave Peter what? Another chance. If you've done this, ask God to forgive you. And to what? Give you another chance. And then what? Open your mouth. I've shared this in the past. Balthasar Hubmeyer. It's one that I, I... it, it sticks with me. Balthasar Hubmeyer was back in the days of the Reformation. He was a proclaimer of the gospel. He was arrested by the Catholic Church. He was put upon the rack. He was told that if they would deny the gospel, then they would let him off the rack. Do you know what he did? He denied. And they let him off the rack. He recanted. He went out. He started what? Proclaiming the gospel again. He was arrested one more time. He was put upon the rack. And they said, if you will recant and if you will deny, then we'll let you off the rack. He denied. He recanted again. He was left off the rack. The third time he went out and he did it again. They arrested him. I'm making this real short here, right? And they, they put him on a rack. And they said, if you do it, then we'll let you off. And so what did he say? Not this time. My Lord has never denied me. How can I continue to deny him? And they pulled his body apart. I know. Sorry, I should have put this as PG-13 or something, right? Anyways. It wasn't pretty. Persecution is never pretty. But it's a period of persecution where the church grows the fastest and the strongest. And it may be for you and I that God calls us in our day to that. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. But it doesn't stop there because... The impact of our confession is not just on our lives, but it's on the lives of others. Temporar- temporally, temporally, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. This is going to cause problems in your family. My brother wouldn't mind me sharing this right now, but he disowned me for eight years. When we first got saved, we sent out evangelistic letters. And I shared that Mary wasn't a co-redemptress. And for that, I was disowned, if you would. Exiled, whatever term. 
but praise God, God got a hold of my brother, and he's the one who's out leading missions trips all over the world right now. I mean, it's just so exciting. I just, I just cry rejoicing with what God is doing through my brother and his, and his wife. And I don't take claim for that. But she has encouraged me numerous times. She says, Bob, you're the one who planted that seed. I'll never forget the letter. She remembers the letter that pricked them, that they didn't like, that they hated. I'm going to separate families because of my namesake. Are you willing to lose family for the name of Jesus? It may be what your family needs in order to come to Christ. But then it's an eternal thing, isn't it? Because in the end, everybody's going to give an account for whether they have accepted or denied Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whoever receives a prophet, verse 41, whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. When someone, when you go to somebody with the message of Christ, they have a decision to make. They're either going to receive it or they're going to reject it, just like those cities. Just like those cities. Jesus said, it's going to be more, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for those cities. Same thing holds true. I know that when I go out, I am to the message, as Paul stated, I am to the one an odor of life. But to another, I am the odor of death. It's not mine to worry about. It's not mine to judge. It's my job to, to, to provide the antidote. Does that make sense? Sin is in the world. There is a cure. God has provided it, Brian, like you said, before the, the problem ever occurred. He already had the plan. He already had the antidote. He already had the, the situation covered. All you're doing is going out and giving people the, the remedy. If they'd rather die of their cancer, quote-unquote, if you would, that's their choice. But ours is to go out with the remedy. So in the end, do you truly believe that God can provide for you? If you went empty-handed into the field to which he called you, will he provide? What field, then, are you serving in? Are you praying for the lost? If you say yes to that first question, if he's able to provide for you in the field, then which field are you in? What field are you going to? Now, you may have already provided for you. You don't have to worry about it a day-to-day thing, but have you gone? Do you believe that God can and will speak through you to reach the lost? Do you really? Again, faith without works is dead. Though we do not desire persecution, are you prepared for it? Does your life and do your lips proclaim that Jesus is Lord of your life? Do you confess him openly, or are you ashamed of him? And in the end, is there a need to change the way you think, and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray.